it, it changed social policy. It changed it changed medicine, you know, altogether. Uh, and what what the premise was that you know Jack would assist people in committing suicide, people who had terminal illnesses, uh, who were suffering, and there was no 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 ability of care for them. They they couldn't. There was no relief for them. They were just suffering, and they're just waiting from the moment when they died. Welcome to another episode of Cases Gone Wild with your host, me, John Marco. Brought to you by Marco Law. I'm really excited to have you all here today because we have a very special guest. We have Steve <laughs> Nat, who has has worked on some of the biggest cases in the country, has been involved in some of the biggest verdicts. So this is going to be a special show. Each show I bring to you uh, some of the craziest cases and stories of Cases Gone Wild, and today's going to be no different. Don't forget, if you like our show, please follow us or like us. You can follow us on Spotify, but also we have a YouTube channel where you can watch the show. Yeah. Now, I'd like to talk a little bit about two big cases that I think everybody knows about that you were on involving significant media attention. Netflix was on um, all kinds of famous mm -hmm. stuff. There's, first of all, the Jenny Jones case. Yeah. So for those, I don't know if... Uh, our listeners know about this case. It was a very famous case. There was a Jenny Jones talk show. This case has been featured on national media. It was on Netflix on a special called Trial by Media. And I understand that you worked on the Jenny Jones case. Yeah. Yeah, and we did. Uh, that was a hard case. Uh, a very hard case. Yeah. We did. Was that Mark Amador? Am I saying that correctly? Or Scott. Scott. Scott Amador. Yeah. Was uh, killed by, you know, the Jonathan Schmitz who was uh, invited onto the show. Jenny Jones solicited Secret Crush. It was about secret crushes. Yeah, right? and Jenny Jones was is like modern-day Mari or Jerry Springer yeah, like Jerry type Springer, stuff, yeah, but it's real. Right. Yeah, and so, you know, and so what they did was, you know, they, they told Smiths, who who had a psychiatric condition, and, and was, you know, maintained on medication, but he was, you know, uh, had a condition that you have a secret crush. Would you be willing to come to Chicago on a show, right? And he was homophobic. And he's from Michigan. And he's from Michigan. He was homophobic. And uh, and so he thinks he goes on the show thinking there's like a girl. A girl that's his secret crush. It's and like he's his, probably all excited. His dream it. come true, right? Yeah. And it turned out to be Scott Allen. A Allender, dude. Who was, yeah, right. It's gay. And, you know. And, you so know, it's he's revealed like, on national television. Right, right, right. And he, you know, and he's like, ah, ha, ha, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he's laughing a little bit. But he comes back, goes on a bender, you know, drinking. So so and he's out and so he goes and, on national TV, yep. and they do they air this episode on national. They aired TV? the episode, yeah, yeah. So well, you know what? I take that pick. I'm not sure they aired it, but the footage was available. The footage for was trial. available, yeah. and he goes on this show in Chicago. He's to travel to Chicago, yeah. and thinks he's going to have a girl, and it's really some dude who has a a gay crush on him. Yeah, and he's. Does he flip out at the time or no? He, he he responded by laughing. He laughed it off on stage, right? You know, and, and that turned out to be a key part of the trial process, you know, because their defense was, oh, you know, he wasn't that upset. Look at he's laughing, you know, he, he, he's not upset at all. But the reality was, you know, he was he was laughing to cover up his, you know, he was mortified. He came back, 
began drinking and then took a shotgun and, and, and killed uh, Mr. Amador. Killed the lover. Right. The lover. So, uh, well, he wasn't a lover, but, you know. The, the, the crush, crush. The crush. Right. Whatever, right. yeah. And so uh, uh, during the course of the trial, now this is, so it's national, you know, and Jenny Jones is a big media and she's going to come and testify and blah, blah, blah. So they, so, so Jeff sues mm-hmm. this Jenny Jones <clears throat> show. Yeah. For creating this situation that led to the death of right. the crush guy, the guy right. who had the crush. Mr. You know, Jenny Jones is like, you know, she's been, you know, she's a polished person and he's in all, you know, everyone's starstruck and we're worried about the jury being, you know, star and whatever. Because Jenny Jones was a very big talk show. Oh, yeah. It was a big, it was big time, you know, and she, she got on this and, uh, you know, we had her late in the afternoon and then, you know, it was interrupted for the following morning. And this is in Oakland County Circuit Oakland Court, County right? Oakland County Circuit Court, yep. Televised on, um, what's the name of that? Court TV. Court TV, yeah. 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 And so uh, we're so talking. So the media was there the whole time, oh, right? Yeah, a lot of media. Uh, uh, and Jeff and I were in, in, in uh, Ven Johnson, we're trial team, we're talking afterwards. And I said, Jeff, you noticed something, you know, about uh, uh, Jenny Jones. You know, when she's nervous, she smiles and she laughs, right? You know, use that, use that to your advantage because that's their defense. Schmidt wasn't upset because he laughed, right? And so, so their defense was he never really was that upset. He wasn't that upset. It wasn't a big deal. This has nothing to do with the show. Okay, got it. So the next morning, Jeff was just perfect on tempo. You know, he he's answering her questions. She starts, oh no, no, I don't think so. No, Jenny like Jones. Yeah. he's got Jenny Jones on. And the so scene. he goes, I I noticed that like. You laugh a lot, you know, with some of these questions. You think it's funny? And she goes, oh, no, no, I, I'm just laughing because I'm nervous. And he goes, exactly, exactly. That's what Jonathan Schmitz did, didn't he? He was laughing because he was humiliated and he was trying to cover it up. And she was, ooh, like that. You know, <laughs> you know Feeney's like, you know, the, the defense attorney's like jumping up, judge, judge. You yeah, know, right? yeah, yeah. So the jury kind of got, but there was another thing that was really instructive about that case. And it, and something we talk about a lot is that you can never underestimate the power of a, of a, of a witness. You may think a witness is a minor witness, you know, and inconsequential to your case and your themes in your case, but they could turn out to be, you know, a powerful, powerful tool. So you can't underestimate any witness. You got to you know, really think about the witness and what you want from them, what they mean to the case. Yeah. Because at one point, uh, Schmidt's girlfriend, was going to testify. And Jeff had Ben Johnson to the... Smith's you know, is the person who shot, shot, the, right, shot was, Amador. Right. right. So, uh, so you're Jeff, gonna have Jeff the, wanted... Who's going to call the girlfriend? The... We, we were calling him. Okay. But, uh, plaintiff was calling him. And, and why? And Jeff wanted Ven to, you know, to do the exam because she would testify about how upset he was. Okay. You know? Okay. And she was upset. Did he me. testify the shooter too? Yeah. No, he didn't. He was in jail. Okay. He'd okay. been convicted of murder. So anyways, we're in the basement and, you know, and then comes up and he goes, you know, man, I don't know what to do. I'm really, you know, I'm really upset. I'm nervous about this because she is like hostile. She's really hostile. And I says, what do you mean she's hostile? And she goes, she, she won't talk to me at all. And I says, well, you know, let's try and talk with her and let's, you know, let me, let me come with you and see, you know, what we can do. And she was in the cafeteria and, and so the two of us, you know, go over and I say, hi, you know, I'm, I'm Steven Nan. I'm part of the, you know, the, the, the trial team. And uh, I wonder if I can, you know, talk with you a little bit about, you know, your testimony in a little bit. And she looks at me and she looks at Ven and she looks at me and she goes, 
I don't know if I could say this. Yeah, I could say it on a podcast. Yeah, right? yeah. This so, is like an all. There's okay. like there's like a warning on this podcast quote. that says like don't right. your kids. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, this is a quote. Hide your kids. Yeah. This is a quote. She looks at me and she goes, "Fuck you and fuck you. I don't want to talk to either one of you." And she looks away. Now, Ven is not real pleased at all at this point because he was really nervous right to begin with, and now she's saying, you know, she's really, she was really hostile. And so we sat down and I said, all right, listen, man, let's talk a little bit about why, why would she be so angry? Why would she be so hostile, especially to you, you know? And we talked a little bit about how people have hurt and they have upset and how they cover up their emotions with, you know, anger is a, a secondary emotion. And, and how do you recognize when she's upset and how do you use that in order to get her to communicate? Not that she's upset, but why she's upset. Okay. And how do you get to that? You know, and we talked a bit about it. And Ven was just, again, on tempo. He was on tempo. She was testifying. Of course, she's one word responses, curt, rude, you know, no, yeah, whatever. You know, it's that sort of thing. And then he asked her about something. And, and she kind of looked down, paused and looked down for a moment, then looked back up. And Ven changed his tone of voice, you know, and said, what were you just feeling? What happened just now? And she, up to this point, was like one-word responses, hostile, just burst out wailing. I mean, just, oh, my God. And she was crying. Tears were coming out. How could they do this to people? How could they do this to a human being? I don't understand it. What what kind of people are these? You know, they're, for money? For money, they destroy the lives of all these people? And, you know, she so we had to, you know, judge had to you know intervene and you know we had to call a little time out so she could get her composure back together but i talked with the jurors afterwards and they said you know we've been in trial about two weeks at that point and they said you know when she testified we understood finally what this case was all about we really understood how destroy how many people lives were destroyed by what they did on that show and it made a huge difference. Wow. Now, just a minor witness in a, a minor huge case. a minor witness with right. a huge impact. Right. So now never was, underestimate the value of a witness. Was Jenny Jones there the whole time? Not the whole time, no. Yeah. No, no she was only there for a few days. They had uh, some Warner Brothers, I think, owned the show at the time, and they had an attorney who was there the whole time. She was kind of a, she was kind of a, she wasn't a very nice person. She was kind of mean. Yeah. Um, well, part of the course, I guess. They yeah. didn't really care. Yeah, I mean, it was a big deal for them. You know, they they did not want to get, you know, a verdict against them, which they did, you know. Uh, but, they, you know, that was, that, was a, that was a very instructive trial, you know. Now, a lot different than Kevorkian, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Kevorkian with some of the time that we have left here. I'd like to hear. So, I mean, I remember this growing up, but some of our younger listeners or maybe people who have forgotten or aren't from Michigan. I mean, this was a big deal. This was on 60 Minutes. This was on national news. And so tell us, Jack, who is Jack Kevorkian? If, and if you yeah. if you want to know more about this, I mean, there's, there's a Netflix show. There's an HBO special called You Don't Know Jack. There's, I mean, this was, I think, what really, Jeff was a great attorney. He had great, but this really put Jeff on the map, on the yeah, map right? Yeah. Yeah, it really did because it was a, it, it changed social policy. It changed it changed medicine, you know, altogether. 
Uh, and what, what the premise was that, you know, Jack would assist people in committing suicide, people who had terminal illnesses, uh, who were suffering, and there was no, no, no ameliorative care for them. They, they couldn't, there was no relief for them. They were just suffering, and they're just waiting from the moment when they died. And so his idea was, look, at, if you really have compassion for people, you know, if, it's, if an animal is suffering, you put it out of its misery, right? Yeah. It's the same principle for human beings. You know, compassion, you know, dictates that, you know, un- under certain circumstances, that person should make that decision. You to know. be able to take their own life. Although I have now, to tell you, that really wasn't his position to begin with. Jeff and I made that a social policy position because, you know, as we talk, again, you, you figure out the meaning, you know, of, uh, of a case. You know, it's like, you know, Da Vinci once said, you know, the, a real artist finds the sculpture in the rock. You know, you have a rock and, and, and you have to look for what the sculpture is in it, you know, right. rather than try and shape well, it. Well, what, what was Jack's, Dr. Kevorkian's position, if that wasn't it? Really? Well, he, you know, he, he did have compassion for you. He thought they should, you know, they should be able to end their own life. He was death phobic. He was, he spent his entire life organized around his fear of dying. And uh, he became a pathologist, partly because of it. He immigrated here from the, uh, his family was Armenian, and they survived the Arme- Armenian Holocaust, but not a, a lot of his family died during it. Yeah. So he was really afraid of dying. Wasn't he in the Army, too, or something? He was, was a surgeon. Like and, you know, yeah, he and would. Stuff? Yeah, I mean, he, he thought outside the box. You know, he, he thought about using cadavers, you know, blood from recently deceased cadavers to take the plasma and use it to save other people's lives, which kind of makes sense, you know. Um, but he... he in exchange for helping people to pass, he would look in their eyes and measure their pupil dilation at the moment of death. He had this theory that you could figure out the exact moment of death by measuring pupillary pupil dilation. Can you? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'm not well, so sure. Th- but this, this, but this, we decided, look, if this is this is a civil rights issue. You know, yeah. this is really an issue of you should be the one that can, that makes that decision. If you're if you're you know uh, competent. Right. If you're not psychiatrically disturbed, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you should make the decision for yourself and, and not have government or anybody else. You know, it should be a matter of your own conscience, you know, in consultation with your family and, and, and medical people. Which that, was know. a controversial. I mean, it still is today. But even more. When was this? When when. Oh, gosh, this was in the 90s, 90s, and, and which I was mean, much more controversial oh, back then yeah. for religious and moral reasons. Right. right? Because well, the Archbishop of Detroit. Said that you know we were mur- we were participating in murdering people and we had people showing up at the office really? with guns, want you know asking for Kevorkian or for Figer. Are you serious? Yeah, that's insane. That happened a lot. You know, it was those were wild, wild times. You know, and Jack, we had to try the case in spite of Jack. Jack, think about this: you got a client who's on trial for murder who admits doing it, and and. And says it every time he has the opportunity, you know, in front of the press, right? Yeah. And so, like, you know, it's like well, he, he at first he wasn't injecting them himself, right? He'd set up a machine, and then they had to push a button right, or something, right? right? Yeah, like he'd right. put like the medicine, well, the medicine, whatever, you know, potassium, the, yeah, essentially the yeah. stuff that would basically give them a lethal injection, right? Had put the needle in, right? Or would they do the needle? They they would do the needle. Themselves, okay, they yeah. would do the needle, yeah. and then had set it up, and then they'd push the button, right? Right. right. And so uh, how, how did Jeff do this case? How did he even get the, this case? I mean, how did Well, he... I, I'll tell you how he, he called me up one day. It's a Saturday. I'll never... Saturday goes, listen, 
you know, uh, uh, I got a guy in my office right now. I think he's nuts. But, you know, <laughs> I, I, I wonder if you could come in and talk to him, you know, and let me know what you think. I said, okay, sure. You know, so, you know, I drove to his office and, and met Jack and his sister. And I talked with him and I said, no, he's, he's not crazy. I mean, there's, he, he doesn't have a psychiatric condition. You know, he's, he, was he being you know, charged with murder at that time? He was time? being charged with murder. And he was going to do the case himself. And then he, then he, his sister convinced him, no, you need to get a lawyer, right? So he got one lawyer. The lawyer says, no, you know, well, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to plead, right? And he goes, I'm not going to plead. This is an issue. You know, we need to make this an issue. You know, I did it and I did it on purpose, you know, yeah. which is first degree murder. So then, uh, you know, so then Jeff's saying, you know, well, you know, what do we do? I mean, he's like, you know, he 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 tells people he did, did it. And he says, well, we have to make we make we have to make the issue what he did rather than the law. You know, so let's talk about that's what's called jury nullification. right? Well, technically, he's kind, guilty. Technically, yeah. Technically, it's like, yeah, although his motive wasn't malicious, you know, so it was a, it, it was the intent that we were attacking from a legal perspective. You know, but what we wanted to do was to focus on not on the act itself, but rather, you know, the issue of compassion, you know, and the person's ability to make their own decisions. And but keep in mind, though, none, of, none of these people, none of these people, none of their families ever filed a criminal complaint. Nobody ever said, you know, Kevorkian killed our, you know, our brother or our sister. Yeah, it was the right? Oakland County prosecutor. The Oakland who, County who prosecutor. Who was that at that time? Thompson. Okay. Who was like a, a, a like a super religious dude. Yeah. Right? So it was opposite ends yeah, of the spectrum. Yeah. There are, well, kind of, although, you know, I'd argue that, you know, that Jeff had a spiritual component to him that I think few people realize, you know, uh, that there was an element of, you know, he had an ability to cut through facts and, and go to the heart, you know, of the matter in terms of the, the case itself. You know, his, his evolution was really an evolution from... Uh, the anger that he had, you know, he just had, for various reasons throughout the course of his life, his personality was organized around his anger. And so it was a matter of, of helping him Jeff, to be able you're to, talking about. Jeffrey, yeah. yeah. So it's a matter of helping him to be able to use his anger uh, in, in, in a constructive fashion, rather than, you know, attacking everyone, uh, use it to motivate people. Right, right. right. You know, in that sort of thing. And so, so what happened with this? How did he take this case? Which, I mean, from a just a facts perspective, is a loser. I mean, I don't at least from a fact me. from a fact perspective. But like when in the Jenny Jones case, we did six mock jury trials and we lost every single one of them. What? Every single one we lost, but we learned how to win the case. With the Kevorkian, we did uh, mock juries, and 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 what we found was that the overwhelming sentiment of all the jurors in the research that we did was that, you know, this is the right thing to do. <laughs> this is the right thing to do. He did it, but it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Right? So it really was a nullification in, in that sense. But, you know, what we did was we had to approach it as, as intent and motive. Yeah. As being, because these people were really event. sick, right? I mean, they were they all were... terminally ill. Yeah. All terminally ill, all had a, a progressive illnesses where, they would basically suffocate, slowly suffocate to death over years. Yeah. Right? Or have intractable pain that pain medication, you know, couldn't alleviate. And they were all terminal, you know, certified terminal. Yeah. They all, we, you know, they developed guide. we developed guidelines. You know, I, I was like the only non-physician on 
Physicians for Mercy committee that drew up the guidelines. One of the guidelines was that they had to have a psychiatric exam to certify they weren't suicidal. And that they weren't crazy, that, right? That, that they weren't that they were competent and they weren't suicidal. To make their own decisions. Right. So what happened? Which makes with you think, this? you know, these are people who are considering ending their life, but they're not suicidal. Yeah. And there's a subtle, you know, subtle Different. distinction to be made there. Yeah. So what happened at trial? Well, the first trials there was three, right? There or were three sets of trials, yeah. And most of them involved multiple people. Okay. Um, the first one, you know, uh, Jack occupied himself by teaching himself Japanese, which was a tremendous relief for both of us. Because you, know, you were worried about the client. Oh, uh, we were worried about Jack because he had a temper. You know, and, he, and, and like I said, he, you know, he was like in your face. Him and Jeff were like peas in a pot, I'll tell you that. They can't wait. They couldn't wait to get in your face and tell you, how you were wrong or what you were wrong about. Yeah. And we were worried about him acting out during trial, but he just, you know, he just taught himself Japanese and, you know, did his thing and, you know, not guilty. This is a great one. How long was the trial? Several weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was first degree murder trial. It was a, intense. Um, the second one we had, a, a, um, well, it was it the second or third? I forget. They kind of blend together now at this point. But uh, one of them was a mistrial because you know uh, we found out that one of the prosecutors had uh, had somehow intervened in the the homicide of his sister in law, something along those lines. And so you know Jeff, you know mentioned it or something like that. And it was like it was an Albion. It was like you know it's like the whole Albion. Place, yeah, the whole place. Well, fell apart yeah this was in albion county I think it was in albion county yeah yeah that's a whole different ball game than yeah, oakland county, yeah it right? wasn't yeah they they thought they had their best shot out there because of a conservative community but yeah i'll tell you what they were wrong about that too you know because we did mock jury trials there and so they so were no different so he's than being charged with murder yeah dr kaborki <clears throat> they beat the rap and then he does it again yep and then jeff beat the rap again yep. does it again it again the third one i think he had he decided, Jack decided he'd dress up as Thomas Jefferson and appear in court in costume, which he did. How did that go over? Yeah, not too well with me, but, you know, I, I mean, I, don't, I think at that point, people knew enough about him Yeah, that they just kind of said, oh, okay, well, that's, that's, that's Jack. Jack. You know, that's Jack. You know, and, and Jeff was really the star, you know, in those trials because... Um, he was arguing, you know, a civil rights trial. I mean, it was as close as I could, you know, as I would imagine, like uh, Clarence Darrell, you know, arguing the sweet trial in Detroit, you know, years ago. Yeah. That it was like, you know, it was about, it was about something bigger. And every jury wants to be involved in something that's bigger and something that's significant. You know, there's no, the job, you know, the job of the attorney, and you're really good at this, is, is to, is nothing's trivial. Everything is important. You know, in that every trial, no matter how ordinary it may seem on the surface, is not ordinary to that human being who's suffering, right? And and you have to communicate how that how the human being's suffering to the jury. You know, and then they understand it, and then they begin to expand from that. So, what would you say? I know we want people to buy your book, right? The Authentic Attorney. It's a great book. <laughs> I really do encourage people. It's an easy read too. Yeah, you, I wrote you, it for high school level. I mean, it's to, and to tell stories, you know, to yeah. to make the point and to tell the story from a trial to illustrate. Well, the I point. like it. You teach through example. You know, you don't just say like, "Here, do this, do that." You know, you talk about real examples and trials mm -hmm. that you've been involved with. Yeah. 
Uh, but what would some advice be that you give to lawyers trying, you know, their first case or what to do or not to do? When it, if you had to give some of your best advice, you know, other than buying your book for the whole. Yeah, buy the book right, and read. Well, there's so many aspects of it, but I, I think probably the most important uh, preparation for any trial attorney beginning their career, you know, and approaching every trial is to 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 know yourself well enough. You have to have a degree of introspection to know yourself well enough to understand what that the meaning of that case is for you. You know, what does this mean to me? What is it? What is it about this case that resonates with me that, you know, that 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 provokes me, you know, into into representing this person in their cause? And to and, and by doing that, you know, by doing that, that process of introspection, whether you're you're initially looking at the case and trying to understand the meaning of the case. And, you know, people are used to looking at the value of the case. Well, that's you know, that's that's ridiculous because, you know, some of the most meaningful cases that in and the most successful cases in terms of money awards were cases that, you know, Jeff took on or other people took on that other attorneys had absolutely refused to have anything to do with. Swans being one example, you know, homeless guy, schizophrenic, out on, you know, fro freezing to death in winter in, in Lansing, you know, with no relatives and a veteran, right? And the police kill him, right? Uh, no one would take that case. Jeff took it. We ended up winning nine million dollars in that case. Yeah, you know, uh, cases aren't. You know, if you look at a case in terms of what the potential money value of it is, you'll completely miss it. If you look at a case in terms of understanding what the meaning of that case is for you and for that individual, and to understand that thoroughly, then you're in a better position to prepare, to understand the case and what it in in, in the in the real value of the case in terms of justice, in terms of compassion, and ultimately in terms of a verdict, Yeah. right? But you're also in a position to understand the voir dire aspect of, so, you know, you understand yourself and the aspects of the case, then you can add, you know, you can identify the bit, the most important biases that most attorneys have that they have to sort out in voir dire are their own biases, right? Right. Oh, you remember the case, the, uh, the inner ghetto, right? The inner ghetto yeah, case, the inner ghetto right? Case. There was a case. There was a case when, it, where you know your concern was this guy was just such a street urchin, you know that he was just so he had tattoos up and down his tattoos, neck. Tattoos. He, he and he, you know, he spoke in a way that you could barely understand yeah, him. You yeah. know, and he, he was, had been like a, a drug <clears throat> dealer, right? You know, was yeah. He was a street guy, um, and you know, and we're worried about that, and then you know then ultimately came to the idea, look, you know, th there were three different physicians. He had a wound, you know, uh, issue. And a gauze was left in his wound. Yeah, we talked one about physician, this on the last Then episode. it transferred to another physician, then another physician. And everybody right? treated him like, like like they saw him. Whatever. Like, it's like, know? oh, yeah, you got gauze in there. It's going to get infected. Yeah, see you later, right, type yeah. of thing. So why would it be, you know, so we were in a position where he had to argue that three different physicians independently committed malpractice or it wasn't malpractice. Yeah. And then we decided, okay, yeah, the reason why three different physicians independently didn't treat him appropriately was because of who he was. Right. It wasn't because of what was wrong with him. It's because of who he was. And so, you know, we kid around and saying, you know, you had to embrace your inner ghetto yeah, to yeah, understand yeah. that aspect of it. And we had a jury that was perfect for that argument and understood it 
right from the get-go. Yeah, and you know, and I think the pinnacle was in closing when the defense attorney on that case got up and said to the jury, given that this that we had almost turned that case into a civil rights case. Yeah. About disparity of medical treatment right. for African Americans, right. poor people in the inner city. This guy got the worst medical care anybody could ever get below the bare minimum. And uh, it was because of who he was and where he came from. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but the defense attorney got up in closing. You might have left because just just so people know, if Steve starts leaving in the middle of your trial, that means he thinks you're going to lose and wants to be away from you when you lose. Because when I look back whatever, and Steve's whatever. gone, oh, Steve had a doctor appointment today? Uh, yeah. That means shit's going bad. Well, I came but, back. I came back the next day. But, but I, I, I don't think it was the closing that made the difference. I think the difference was the question you asked one of the doctors. Would you treat your brother-in-law the same way? Yeah, and it was like a rich white doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, no. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that was it. That, that was, was it. the case. Yeah. But they treat point. our client that way. Yeah. But in the call, you're right. But in closing, though, I thought, I don't know if you remember, just a not a practice point, but it was interesting. The defense attorney gets up, and he's a very experienced, very good attorney, mm-hmm. has tried more cases than me. He apparently had tried 100 cases in a row and never lost. And this defense attorney gets up <laughs> and talks about to this jury... You know, I was raised at an orphanage on the corner of Detroit. Yeah. And I was raised, you know, he was trying to embrace his inner guy. Right, I yeah. think it was a little too late, though. Yeah, a little way too late for that, right? And, uh, you know, the nuns taught me, the nuns of the Sacred Heart or whatever, taught me to be respectful of everybody. And I don't think Mr. Marco learned those lessons from those nuns. Yeah. And do you remember what I did? Oh, yeah. You talked about your experience. Yeah. In parochial and getting kicked out of parochial school and having to go to a public school that, you know, was a diverse school. Yeah. Right? Where there was like 10% white kids. Yeah. And I said, so while I may not have learned my lessons from the nuns, I sure learned my lessons from going to inner city public school and being a minority. Right. And if it wasn't for that experience, I wouldn't be able to be here representing this client who I'm proud to represent, yeah, you know, who yeah. was African-American, had tattoos, came from very poor, uh, was, and was treated differently because right. of that. Uh, so I, I sure understand what I need to understand. Right. Something like that. And the jury got it. They, yeah. they were shaking their heads. and um, Well, they knew. They understood what it was about. And then you're, you're saying, you know, yeah, you know, it, you have to understand. Well, you were communicating the meaning to you of about what the case, yeah. about what happened. And they had already under, you know, they got it. And so they, you know, they were totally in your And camp. the defense was completely startled by the case because in a way it was a medical malpractice. They thought of it as a technical medical malpractice case. But in the end, it was almost a civil rights case. Yeah, we turned it into a civil rights Civil case. rights case, yeah. right? It's about, even if in voir dire and jury selection, we asked, you know, should someone get substandard medical care because of their race or because of where they come from or because they're poor? I mean, and so we already had identified that issue Mm -hmm. and they were just not equipped to pivot and deal with the reality. And, you know, you know, we weren't making anything up. That was the reality. Uh, This this guy was was given no medical care because he was a black dude, poor black dude, former drug dealer from inner city Detroit with tattoos up and down his neck. And and in a way, the defense was treating this guy like the doctors had treated him. Right. You know what I mean? Well, they, were tra- they saw the case from a, a traditional defense attorney's perspective. We've got 
three really qualified, well-respected physicians who all made the same decision independently. Yeah. You know. And, and what do they have? And they we've have... got all these guys that are come in and, are gonna, and they're going to say, these are great guys and they, you know, and da 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 and that sort of thing. But, you know, that wasn't the case. That yeah. wasn't the case. So you have to look for that because what you said is true. That case, you know, was was handed off to me because no one else wanted to try it. Right. And it was saw, thought it was going to be a loser, yeah. right? Yeah. How much did you get on that? 3.1 million plus yeah. sanctions. So yeah. we were, you know, we did pretty and well. And a case no one wanted to take. Nobody wanted to take. Right. But and a lot that, of the cases, Griffey, you know, that case we right. talked about earlier, he had been at two other attorneys. They turned his case down. Now it's the largest employment yeah. verdict in the history of Michigan. Right. Other than Gilbert, which you were on, yeah. the Gilbert case. But, you know, um, you know, the, that there's always more than meets the eye, right? Well, that's right. Because, and, and again, it's because you have to understand the meaning of the case. Not just the facts of a case, but the meaning of a case as you take it, you know, because if you're just looking at it in terms of what's the potential, what's the cost effectiveness of taking this case and bringing it to yeah, trial, yeah, yeah. you'll miss big cases. That's how you overlook yeah. the diamonds in the rough. But that's what the insurance company do. They don't look at the meaning that's of right. a case, right? Right. It's simply a matter of- What are the odds? What are the odds? Right. What are the numbers? Right. And how do they end up working right. out in the end? So, yeah. And I think the only other really- important part aspect of it is understanding the meaning is is uh being authentic in front of the jury you know being yourself being true to yourself you know and and really knowing what that means not yeah imitating other lawyers you know not imit not taking on their tactics or whatever you know one of the points i make in the book early on is you know listen don't adopt you know these techniques you know adapt them you know yeah take them on you know use what you can that feels natural and normal for you to use and, and, and use them, you know, and the ones that you don't feel comfortable with, don't. Yeah, I mean, there's no secret recipe to this, right? No. I mean, there's no, you can't like read. There's no easy recipe. There's that's... no easy recipe right. either. It's hard work. And uh, that's the name of your book, Authentic Attorney. But being authentic is sometimes easier said than done, right? Oh my, yeah. And course. it's always a journey well, of trying to It's an to existential issue for every human being, right? Yeah. You know, I'm authentic. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure that, you know, I understand myself yet at this stage in life. You know, I'm going... I'm going back to school for, you know, because I like, you know, many body quantum physics, you know, but that's something I like, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to be a, you know, I'm not going to teach physics or do physics for the rest of my life. And, you know, I'm not really a psychologist anymore. I'm not really, I'm not just, a, you know, I, I mean, I see my job at this point as helping young lawyers to, you know, to be better, you know, human beings, better lawyers. That's really kind of like what I, yeah, the overriding yeah, yeah, mission. Yeah. I mean, I love, like, you know, your associate, I hoped to get like her first million dollar verdict. That's like the, the most wonderful feeling in the world is, you know, having a, you know, a young attorney win their first big, big case and yeah. understand what just happened, right? And figure out how and why. So, Steve, this has been awesome. You're still uh, doing jury consulting. I encourage people to read your book, uh, not just because I love you, man, and I want you to do well. And I mean, Thanks. shit, your book's too cheap, dude. The first thing I told you is, what is this? <laughs> so, you can get this on Amazon, right? Yeah. What is it, like 15 bucks or something? You should be up in this. This. Uh, well, you know, I want just, it, it's, it's not, 
I'm you didn't gonna, write it. I'm for not the gonna money. make a lot of money for that. All right. You know, now right? listen, are you gonna is there gonna be a next a second book? That's and, right, and you'll probably be a little bit earlier. All right. Okay. I'll be on page ninety nine yeah, instead yeah, of yeah, hundred and twenty yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. All right. <laughs> well, I hope I earned it. And hey, it's been great having you okay. on the show, yep. man. Thanks a lot. It's been awesome. It's been a great time today. We've learned about some of the craziest, most insane cases. If you Google some of these cases we talked about today, you're going to see. I mean, you can watch TV shows about them. We're not just making these up here. So thank you to Steve Nat. Thank you for wa uh, watching or listening, whatever you're doing on whatever platform. Again, remember, please follow our show. You can watch it on our YouTube channel as well. It's on our website. If you need help uh, with any of your legal matters, we're here to help. That's MarcoLaw.com. Go to www.markolaw.com. Uh, you can learn more about us. You can watch our podcast there or give us a call. 313-777-7LAW. Until next time, on behalf of Marco Law and Cases Gone Wild, we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.